This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Getting you ready for all the biggest games across the college sports world. This is BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome into BetQLU, RJ and Jeffrey. Both off this week, so you get myself, Chris Mack, Slackers. alongside Shane Norling. Yes, you get you get the B team. Here we are. No, uh, we're we're totally set and prepared, though, as we are in the throes of the Sweet 16 and moving on to the Elite Eight, the NCAA tournament, getting down to crunch time. We obviously had games, Shay, on Thursday night that. Uh, were fun to watch, but I think also gave us the varying results that, you know, March Madness is all about, yeah. really, uh, between well, Duke's win and, and and Gonzaga getting knocked off. Although there would be some out there that probably say, I knew Gonzaga wasn't going to make it. I was just going to make the joke. Is Gonzaga losing as a number one seed really a varying result at this point? It just <laughs> yeah, kind of happens every single year. You know, I, I think this is actually like the thrust of our, 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 our first conversation here. And it is really like, how do you, if you're a Gonzaga fan, feel? Um, you know, you, you wake up you, you, Friday morning, it's gloom and doom. Even if you're living in the sunniest place on the face of planet Earth, uh, you could be in Maui with the sun shining down on your face, beautiful, warm water. It doesn't matter. It's the end of the world. It's dark and cloudy. And your weekend is not going to improve at all because uh, you're going to see somebody else, either Duke or Arkansas, go to the final four when it should have been the Bulldogs. It should have been your guys. But to your point, Shay, here we are yet again. I mean, the last 23 NCAA tournaments, Gonzaga has been in each and every single one of them. And each and every single time as they've sort of evolved from the darlings that they were in the late 90s, early 2000s, around the turn of century when Mark Few first took over, to where they are now, a, a, a powerhouse. I don't care if they play in the West Coast Conference, uh, small Catholic school or not. They're a powerhouse in men's college basketball, yet they still haven't won it all. Yeah, I saw actually, too, that uh, they're tied with Oklahoma now for the most appearances as a number one seed and never having a national title, which five appearances as a number one seed and no national title. I actually have a buddy who's a Gonzaga fan, and I will tell you he had a, he had a very bad night Thursday night. But oh. I think as like a fan base, they still feel all right because Mark Few's been there, what, 23 years now and makes mm-hmm. the tournament every year, has built this into an elite program, and it's just this tiny school in what Spokane, Washington, that like yeah. – nobody would ever have thought would turn into this elite basketball powerhouse. So I think the fact that they're here every year alone is good enough for the fan base. It does have to just leave an awful taste in your mouth when it keeps ending this way, though, every year. Like last year with Jalen Suggs and that incredible undefeated run, and then this year you have Chet Holmgren, and it feels like last year and this year were the year. Get over the hump and just can't do it. Like they just can't figure it out. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder, like, it, 
you, I compare them to almost like the Tennessee Titans or uh, think of another team that's, that's it's been like the good Buffalo Bills years. making the Super Bowl four straight times. Yeah, I mean, the Sweet 16 each of the last seven years, they've only had two years in the last quarter century where they've had double-digit losses. They're just in it every single year. Is it easier to be that, or is it easier to be, I don't know, the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Pirates, and you're never in it? And if you're a fan, at least you can lay your head down on the pillow at night, not having any grand illusions or delusions in some cases that your team's actually going to be any good. You just, oh, our team stinks, and that's the way it is, and they're never going to win. Is that somehow in some weird way easier than being the fan of a team that is consistently good year after year after year, always in the championship conversation year after year after year. I don't know. Maybe I could look to Yankees fans of the last 13 <laughs> years and ask, what's it like to not win a title when your team's that good and supposed to win titles? Uh, I know you're a Pittsburgh guy. I was going to say the Pirates feel like a special kind of horror show because they don't even oh, like make, they're not even interested in making an attempt at being good. Like at least if you're a Gonzaga no. fan, you know that your team is trying every year. I'm a Michigan State fan, so like I have to watch my team have monumental expectations every season and typically go well short of them. A uh, few miracle Final Four runs. But honestly, the national title in college basketball is like such an unfathomable goal unless you're a fan of Duke or North Carolina right. or occasionally Kentucky. Like, Otherwise, it's impossible to win. Like it just doesn't happen. So, right, it, it going out in the national title or in the national tournament is not the end of the world to me because you have sixty-eight teams get into this thing and sixty-seven of them lose the final game. Only one every year can actually win. It's like if you make the final four, you had a very successful season, and it's hard to be upset. Like winning your region and then. Really winning the conference and then getting to the Final Four would be the goal, I think, as a college basketball fan. Yeah, so I don't know where Gonzaga goes from here. But I, you know, it's going to be rough know next how much, year. It's going to be yeah, rough I, next I, year. I, I don't know how much longer Mark Few is, you know, I, I don't know how many years he has left, how much gas he has left in the tank, but every year that goes by, if you're Gonzaga and you don't pull it off, it feels like now we're we've we've crested the wave, right? We're on the other side of it, and the window, however you you deem college basketball windows, because they're smaller and smaller all the time now with the portal included. It, it it's 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 closing. There's no other way to look at it. I don't think if you're a Gonzaga fan, then hey, you know we thought this was going to be a given, right? At some point, we'd win a title. Uh, even though we're the little guys and, you know, David Goliath stories, all those ones that you want to craft if you want to. Like I said, they're a national team now. Um, they're a powerhouse. And it feels like they're if they look up another five years from now, Shay, and they still don't have a title, but they've consistently been to the Sweet 16 and maybe an Elite yeah. Eight or even another Final Four in there, it will be the longest run probably of success in major sports that we can remember that didn't result in a title. Oh, definitely. But it, it's also going back to what it would feel like to be a fan. If you were in that gym 25 years ago and there's nothing hanging from the rafters and then right. five years from now, maybe you're looking at four final four banners or something hanging there. That's an incredible thing to do over a, sh a relatively short span. Like the, like I mentioned, Michigan state, they're one of the only teams that goes to the final four that often North Carolina Duke. So the fact that Gonzaga has been to two now, in I think what four years and is remaining a powerhouse kind of elite program, the recruiting class for next year right now doesn't look great, but 
could end up being great again. And then maybe they're back in this position next year again. Like it's, right. and also we got to give credit to Arkansas, nine and a half point dog coming in there and just out physicaling, kind of making Gonzaga uncomfortable for the entire game. You have to give credit to the Razorbacks as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you ha- I had a feeling Arkansas would make it uncomfortable for them. Um, and I, I did hit on, I, I, I didn't have the feeling that it would be one of those games where Gonzaga would get out, start running, start burying threes and, and light up the scoreboard. It's why I took the under and I ended up hitting that and my other three bets on Thursday night. So ooh, yay me, I went four for four on Thursday night. Uh, we'll see. How, it hadn't been a good tournament to this point. My bracket has been in the trash for a week and a half. It feels like so. Um, it, it felt like Arkansas was going to make it difficult and, like you said, uncomfortable for Gonzaga. Um, we'll see how how much discomfort they can put Duke in. We'll get into Duke in a little bit more detail in a couple of minutes here on BetQLU. But you're right, Arkansas. It, you know, I I don't know, I I don't know how you feel about any SEC team this year, given how many of them fell flat on their face when the yeah. opportunity presented itself. I don't think, I, I guess the perspective would be this. I don't know how many people expected us to be into the elite eight with Arkansas being the flag bearer for the conference now. Well, how many people expected us to get into the sweet 16 with a feeling like Michigan was the flag bearer for the big 10 or right. Like, so a lot of this tournament has been, and I know uh, Purdue may be still alive, but the, a lot of this tournament has just been, really surprising in terms of who's coming out of what conference. I did certainly wouldn't have expected Arkansas. I thought uh, Kentucky certainly and Tennessee were going to be the best chances for the SEC to really represent late into this tournament. But, you know, God has other plans, I guess. I don't know what to say on that note. Well, not for the Arizona Wildcats, though. His plans for them are to go home as well. The ones, Another one seed. Two one seeds go down on Thursday night. I, you know... I said it a few weeks ago, and I was kind of blowing smoke at the time. I don't know if it's what ended up causing their downfall or not, but it felt like Arizona, because of the, and you could probably make the same argument for Gonzaga, because of their regular seasons and not really facing that stiff of a test, understanding Arizona did have to play Southern Cal and UCLA in conference. Gonzaga, you could make the argument, you know, St. Mary's, uh, as well as San Francisco, another couple of tournament teams. Um, when you don't face those kinds of tests in the regular season, you can get caught with just not uh, unsuspecting. It feels like when you get to the tournament and it feels like that happened with Arizona as well. You could see it in the win over TCU. I think, you know, you could see that it was coming that perhaps it was a house of cards and that's what it ended up being. I, I Arizona as a one seed, I understood the seeding, I guess, Shay but I also was fully prepared for them to be out before the Elite Eight. Well, and you talk about understanding the seeding, Chris, and it's funny because in their region, I under I know why Arizona got the one seed, and it was right that they right. did, but nobody knows why Houston got the five seed. And that's really no, where things no. got messed up for Arizona because they should not have had to face Houston in the Sweet 16. That should have been an Elite Eight or a Final Four matchup. Houston, one right. of... I mean, now Kempom ranks them as the second best team in the country. They entered the tournament as the fourth best team in the country by Kempom. So I don't think there's any shame in the way Arizona went out um, because you look at the team that beat them and it was like a 12, 10, 12 point win, but it was kind of, it felt like a molly whopping Houston just wired a wire, put the beats on them. And it's like, 
I, if you're Arizona, if you're an Arizona fan, you've got to be disappointed a little bit. But you have no tournament experience. You have a really young team, first year head coach coming off a really wild uh, exit for your former head coach, by the way. So it it does feel like there's a little bit of of maybe positivity to go with Arizona, even though you lose as a one seed in this situation. Yeah, Houston though. You mentioned the Ken Palm rankings. They were one of the few, if not the only teams. One of the one of the few teams. I think there may have been another uh, somebody else in, in there at the mix. I'm because I'm, I'm looking at updated rankings. I'm not looking at the ones from a couple weeks ago when the brackets were set. But Houston was one of the few teams, if not the only team, that was top ten in both adjusted offense and defensive efficiency if, uh, via Ken Palm. Which is why you looked at the brackets when they came out. And you go, wait a second, how's this a five seed? Uh, and now to your point. Here they are, the only team left in the tournament who's top 10 in both Ken Palm adjusted defensive and offensive efficiency. I really liked Villanova Shea coming into this tournament, even, even given the fact that I figured they would have to go through Houston or Arizona. Yeah. But as I've watched these games play out over the last couple of weeks, as much as I like Villanova, I don't know if I see him getting past Houston. Houston is clicking on all cylinders. They're doing everything right on both ends of the floor. And it, it feels like all the experience they gained a year ago is now feeding them this year. They also, like Kelvin Sampson clearly has just learned yeah. what to do with a team when you get to this stage of the tournament. He's like got his yeah. team absolutely, like you said, firing on all cylinders. But they do just kind of, they feel like the best team remaining in the tournament, don't they, Chris? Like it, it's oh, crazy to say that in going into the Elite Eight that it's like Houston just feels head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. But when you beat the brakes off a of one seed the way that they did to Arizona or when they like throw Illinois in a coffin at the end of that game and they're just dominant in the way that they're winning these, it just feels like they're head and shoulders above the rest. Um, and we'll see how this ends up playing out for them as we move forward in this tournament. But looking at Houston and Villanova, like the, there's no numbers edge there. Ken Palm has it as a two-point game. The market right now has yeah. it two and a half. But it just feels like... Houston's in a position where they're playing the best brand of basketball and I'm almost willing to lay the two and a half even without an edge yeah no I mean as of Friday morning after their win over Arizona they were the favorites and granted that was still waiting on the Kansas game but they were the favorites to win the national title the updated odds at FanDuel had them at plus 360 as of Friday morning so you know you see that and I think everyone's seeing the intangibles that you just referenced when you look at the numbers and say, okay, it's only a two, two and a half point game. And that's what Ken Palm says. And the spread's just about on target. How, how do you, how do you adjust? And I, I, I don't, I think you just see it with your eyes. You know, yeah. we, we rely on numbers so much in what we do, especially in this space. And sometimes there's certain things you just can't measure. And I think that's the case with Houston as they get ready for Villanova in the elite eight Saturday night. Uh, we will talk as well that Duke game. Uh, Duke, man, they, the Coach K encore or curtain we can't call, have whatever this. you want to call Somebody's it. Somebody's got to put a stop to this. We can't have it's this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, Shay. I'm not even a Duke fan, and I'm down for this now, I think. Uh, plus, I have a fundamental question about when you get help on your bets and your brackets, how do you repay that help from the person who gave it to you, especially considering – they they may not be gamblers themselves. It's not all that convoluted, but I'll explain that coming up as an well. Interesting question. And, uh, yeah, and we'll we'll get in depth into Duke and Coach K and how we expect that to play out against Arkansas on Saturday. Look back on their win 
on Thursday night as well. It is BetQLU. He's Shane Norling. I'm Chris Mack. We're with you for the rest of the hour. Uh, Going to give you some detailed previews, obviously, of Sunday's games as well. I mentioned Houston, Villanova, Arkansas, Duke, excuse me, Saturday's games. Uh, what, what, I've lost all track of what day it is, Shay. <laughs> I don't know. This is the throws of the tournament. You lose track of things like that. So we'll get you set up and ready to roll. But is Coach K going to get the send-off? Everybody in Durham wants to give him. That's coming up next on BetQLU. Ready. Getting you ready for all the biggest games across the college sports world. This is BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. RJ and Jeffrey off this week. You've got Shay Norling alongside myself, Chris Mack, getting you ready as we sort of move shift from the sweet 16 into the elite eight we'll break down houston villanova in the south regional final uh in just a couple of minutes as well as arkansas duke in the west region final uh and it, well i've got a fundamental question first though for for you shay and yeah. it, let me explain this story let me tell this story real quick set the scene so uh my wife and i have been in the same bracket poll and we'll get into Duke specifically, real detailed on Duke in just a moment. But we're, we've been in the same bracket pool every year for probably the last 15 years. Same guy runs it. And there's like close to 400 people in it now. My bracket's been trash since, <laughs> since, since Kentucky went out. I've been just a disaster. Day one, like the, before dinner on day one, oh, it was over. Yeah, I, I literally like balled it up and just threw it out. Anyway, that's my bracket. My wife... She filled hers out literally the night the brackets came out. She just sat down with a pencil with my kids. I got a 13-year-old daughter and a 9-year-old son, soon to be 9-year-old son. And they they don't really know that much about basketball. They love playing basketball. They love playing horse with dad in the driveway, yeah. but they don't know anything about the team. So they just kind of went based on, you know, just hunches, just guesses. It is one of just three brackets now in the group of close to 400 that has their final four still alive. I have no idea how this has happened. I stopped checking the updates we get emailed to us. My wife sent me a, a screenshot after Thursday night's games. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. So here's the question. If she ends up in the money in this bracket poll, she's got to break a little something off for the kids, right? Yeah, they put the thing together. Yeah. I mean, how is yeah. this a is this a sizable pool? Is this something maybe you take them on a trip or something? Take them on a to a water park, something like. Well, I'm in Chicago, it, so I always think of the places up in Wisconsin Dells. But it's like right. uh, if this is a big sizable pool, Chris, get them involved. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it might it might not be weekend away size pool. You know, it was only like a, a five dollar buy in, and it's because it's just for fun usually. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, at the very least, it's. When we go shopping for your baseball and softball stuff next weekend, you can have any bat you want. There we go. Go ahead. Go nuts. Boy, would uh, I so love yeah. that when I was their age. 
That's a, it, it, don't you expect this when you do the bracket pool stuff? Like we did one. Um, my mom just sent me a, a memory from Facebook of it where, and she knows nothing. She's the type where every year, like whether Michigan state's good or not, she's putting them in her championship game and having them win the right. title. The final four is all random. And it was like three or four years ago. She just won the pool and it wasn't even close. Like wire to wire. She was in first had like every final four team, every region, basically almost perfect. She only got like, I think five teams wrong in the first two rounds. It was something insane and she knew nothing. And we're just like, what that like guys like us, Chris, right? We do all this work all year. We're betting all these games, paying all this this attention. And then it's just like the pools come around and it's like your elementary school English teacher who hasn't watched college basketball in 50 years. uh, I like Huskies. Huskies are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yukon. Sure. Okay. They're like peacocks. That sounds like fun. And then they take St. Peter's over Kentucky. And it's like, hey, you just won your pool. Congratulations. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Oh, man. So that's it. We're punch drunk because our brackets are just uh, a disaster. We've been beaten up. And uh, if you're Texas Tech, I guess the game plan going into every game because they were they were just a prototypical defense first Big 12 team all year, it felt like. Uh, that your your philosophy may have been, hey, let's see if we can beat up Duke a little bit. But the Blue Devils outlast the Red Raiders on Thursday night to move on to the Elite Eight and the West Region Final against Arkansas. We just got done talking about Gonzaga and how disappointed their fans are after the loss to Arkansas. How excited are Duke Blue Devils fans and the networks for the possibility of Mike Krzyzewski's swan song continuing on into the final four another whole week of media hype another whole week of buildup and I, I gotta be honest at this point I look I've never been a Duke hater I've never been a huge fan of Duke I've never actively rooted for Duke I've always been somewhat neutral to be honest Duke's never done anything to hurt my favorite team or you know other than beating Pitt occasionally uh but here I am I find myself Shay I don't know if I should be ashamed of this or proud of it or whatever I'm actively rooting for the Duke Blue Devil Devils to go out on top. That's terrible. Yeah, you should be ashamed <laughs> of yourself. I am a Duke hater, Chris. As a Michigan State guy, like I've seen many a recruit. That's understandable. I've seen many a recruit be like, yeah, I'm coming to Michigan State. And then the day they sign, they're like, actually, Duke, Jabari Parker. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I've been on the wrong end of that quite a few times, and I loathe Duke, and I loathe Coach K. It was funny, though, Thursday night uh, was the first time in a while that I bet on Duke, and uh, yeah. you better you bet Nick Costos tweeted at, at something about, like, I saw this. Rooting, yeah. rooting for Duke, it feels so good, and it's like, yeah. I was experiencing that when, when Paolo hit that go-ahead three, and I was like, you know, this is disgusting, but it does kind of feel good rooting for this team for some weird gross reason i was actually enjoying rooting for the team by the way what type of magic is going on with duke right now you don't miss a shot for eight and a half minutes in route to winning your sweet 16 game it's exactly that it's magic shay it's the magic of coach k just let it wash over you just like like costos tweeted on thursday night it's so much fun to be a duke better it you know what? Dive right in. I know it's hard for you being a Sparty and all that, but dive right in and enjoy the last couple games of Shashevsky's career. If you're a neutral party, at least, that's what I'm going with. Because here's the other thing. 
you know, it, it, everybody's talked about the Krzyzewski effect and, and what that'll have maybe on officials down the stretch or, you know, how the networks want to see this happen, which I'm sure they do. It's a great story and ratings will go through the roof. But it, it, that kind of loses the forest for the trees in that this is a really good basketball yeah. team. Yeah. And, and Mike Krzyzewski said as much Thursday night after the win at, over Texas Tech. He said, these guys are playing really, really well right now. It's why when they had switched to zone and then all of a sudden towards the end of the sec end of the game, you know, they come back over to the bench and to a man, they're all saying, coach, we got to go back, man. We got to go back, man. And he let them make that call. And you would say, okay, you know, in this age of ones and dones where it's hard to develop chemistry, where it's hard to keep teams together, how do you get freshmen and sometimes sophomores to play together, to congeal as a unit? Even if you don't like Mike Krzyzewski, You've got to give him some credit for that, for the fact that they have come together, that a bunch of young kids, granted, some of the most talented young kids on the planet, but a bunch of young kids have come together, yeah. and they're looking like savvy upperclassmen towards the, these last few weeks. Well, in the one-and-done era, is funny because if you look back, like the the traditional one-and-done teams like Kentucky don't win it that often. But it, I think Duke has done it twice with like a more traditional mm-hmm. one-and-done squad. You always think about losing to Michigan State with Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish and how insane that was. But there's been a couple occasions where they take a team like that and they win. And this feels kind of like it's shaping up to be one of those occasions where he's got a team like that. There feels like they're going to make the final four. And if they do, then it kind of, you start to wonder, are they going to win? My question about coach K and I'm not asking this disrespectfully that you can't possibly be disrespectful to coach K's career or what he's been able to do at Duke as head coach at this point in his career, what is he really doing? Because even like, if you look back at the Michigan state win, they're down five with like four or five minutes right. left. It feels like momentum is totally with the Spartans. Like it really starts to feel like, Oh, Tom Izzo's going to do this. They're going to put the silver bullet in coach K. And then the Duke goes on this incredible 24 to six run or whatever. And just puts the game away against Texas tech. They don't miss a basket for eight and a half minutes. Right. But Coach K will tell you himself, it's not coaching. It's just the kids going out and playing. Is his presence right now, is it really about his presence maybe? It's more about just the motivational factor of it being for him and his presence on the sideline, and he's not really doing the X's and O's. Maybe that's already John Shire's job, and it's just kind of Coach K being there. Because when you're watching, it doesn't feel like he's doing any coaching. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Shay. But I think what it... I think what we lose when we wonder like how much is coach K actually doing or not. Right. I think what we lose is the the fact that this team, again, if we make it about this, this year's team specifically for Duke, um, they have found whatever they found over the course of the last few weeks. I think by virtue of the fact that they bounced back so well from two really disappointing losses coming into the tournament, the home loss in Krzyzewski's final game at Cameron, against North Carolina and the ACC tournament loss to Virginia Tech. And I think those losses came at just the right time for Krzyzewski to not say, hey, guys, send me out on on top, but to say, hey, guys, you're better than this, right? And I think the team has really internalized those losses, and you're seeing it in the way they're playing now. If, If they, I'm convinced, if Duke beats the Tar Heels at Cameron in the regular season finale, and then wins the ACC tournament, 
they're out. They lose to Michigan State, if not if not an earlier upset. I think they're out by now. I think this is when you have a team they as talented as losses, they are. Yeah. Yes, you can withstand that, and that's what they've done. They've withstood those losses because they were talented enough to work around them, so to speak, for lack of a better way to put it. And I think that we're seeing the fruits of that now. So let me flip that back on you, though, because you talk about right? obviously these huge emotional moments in kind of Coach K's career. And it's whether we want to, obviously, Duke is a very good basketball team. They've got great players, but there's just no way around doubting that. It, the the fact that it's Coach K's finale at Cameron against North Carolina weighs on these guys' minds. It has to. There's no way oh, yeah. it can't. The fact that it's Coach K's final ACC championship game weighs on their minds. There's no, And I think even after the Michigan State game, there was a lot of talk about, you know, we went down five, and it was like we, we can't let Coach K down in this moment. We got to figure this out. And they rallied together. But when you've seen those two, maybe the biggest emotional moments of the season so far with the finale against Carolina and the ACC championship, and they lost those two games, do you then wonder with the emotional moment of Coach K's final, final four, do they maybe take a loss to whoever they might play in that game or final national title game? Do they maybe have the inability to get that level of emotion that they need against the team like maybe Houston? Yeah. I, I think if they if they get as far as the national championship game, and particularly if the opponent is Houston, because I think their national championship caliber, like we were talking about a couple minutes ago, I, I could I could see the Cougars beating Duke. I could just the way they're playing right now, they, they are the hottest team in the country, and I would not be surprised. I also, though, when I look at possible Final Four opponents, um, it, it, Duke I think has that side of the bracket. They do. I think if they were to face North Carolina. Uh, in the final four, it would be great for the networks, like I said, the ratings, all that for everybody who loves to see matchups of blue bloods, especially conference rival blue bloods. And I honestly think Duke would probably, I don't want to say run them out of the gym, but I think all that payback for what happened at Cameron and Shashevsky's final home game would come home to roost and you would see Duke probably play their best game of the year, which could then lead to a letdown. Like that's something to consider going into a national championship game against Houston. Um, but it's, I, Duke Houston, I think, is the the best possible matchup we could hope for in the national championship game. It would be incredible, and my only worry with Duke at this point, because I think you're right, they have their side of the bracket. It kind of feels like everything's been tailor made, even with injury concerns for other teams. They're not going to face maybe the strongest and healthiest version of an opponent. Certainly, right. getting blessed against getting to go against Arkansas instead of Gonzaga is a, is a huge blessing. So, if Duke can make that Final Four in that title game, my one concern is. For Duke, it's going to be a lot of this is about Coach K and his final run to the Final Four, his final NCAA right. tournament, his final national title game. This is all about him. And for whoever they play, whether it's Houston or Villanova or Kansas or whoever, it's going to be about the basketball and winning a title. And so that's where it's like, in that situation, is that where you start to look at Duke and go, the emotion of the moment might be just a little too much for a bunch of 18-year-old kids to overcome? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. Although, as we've seen them mature, like I said, throughout the year, it feels like they'd be able to get out of the way of that, but you don't know until you're actually there, right? That, that's the question. Um, and I, I, I don't know. It would be it would be something, uh, if nothing else. It would you be know, theater. I understand. Co- like, as much it as would, I oh. hate Coach K and Duke, Coach K going to a national title game in his final year would be theater. 
Oh, it, like I said, it would be, that would be one of those ones you would remember the outcome of that. You would, if, you know, we joke around about, you know, paying off the kids for their, their, for their bracket. Uh, you would let the kids stay up and watch that. If they're basketball fans, if you're a basketball fan, Hey, stay up and watch the game, kids. You can be tired at school tomorrow. Cause this is a little slice of sort of sports history even if they watching Krzyzewski go out even if they lose yeah and even if the kids aren't going to know really what's going on it'd be cool like if I were at that age where I'm like just starting to understand kind right. of what what's going on when watching sports I would like to be like yeah dad let me stay up and watch that game that yeah. night because it was coach K's final national title it's cool it, it would be absolute sports theater I have a question about conferences that we will get to coming up next uh, because everybody had their opinion of different conferences and how they might progress as things moved throughout the bracket. He's Shane Norling. I'm Chris Mack. It is BetQLU in for RJ and Jeffrey this weekend. We've still got a preview. Those Elite Eight games, those regional finals, Houston, Villanova, Arkansas, Duke. We'll do that next as well as we roll along here in an NCAA tournament edition as we move from the Sweet 16 to the Elite Eight here on BetQLU. You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome back in. It's BetQLU on the BetQL Network. RJ and Jeffrey off this week. You've got Shane Norling. You've got me, Chris Mack, as we get ready to preview a couple of Elite Eight matchups. Regional finals between Arkansas and Duke and Houston and Villanova, which means we'll have a pair of the Final Four decided, the top half of the bracket. Anyway, we'll have those for you in just a minute. But I was going to bring this up, Shay. You know, we, we just got done talking about Duke and you know, Duke all year was obviously the cream of the crop in the ACC. The rest of the conference was, mm, it was what it was. Um, but when you look at, for example, conference RPI, you know, I, I pulled that up. Big 12 was ranked the strongest. Big East and SEC were in, actually in a tie, second and third. Uh, and then you had the Big 10 closely behind them. And then Pac-12, Mountain West, before you finally got down to the ACC. So I'm trying to, and then the American after that, as we were, we've talked about Houston a lot as well today. So I'm trying to reconcile in my brain the idea that the Big 12, the SEC, the Big 10 were all stronger conferences than the conferences that may provide us the national championship game if we get Duke and Houston like we were talking about. Um, because, and, and even the, you know, I, I talked about Arizona earlier coming out of the Pac-12, Gonzaga out of the West Coast Conference, and perhaps not being tested at all throughout the year, yeah. and having weak conference schedules, and perhaps that sets them up for failure once they get to the big dance. But here we are. We're looking at conference ratings, actual math going into this, and here comes Duke out of the ACC, really the only really good team in the ACC this year. Here comes Houston out of the American Conference, where they didn't really have to play SMU maybe uh, all year. And those may end up being national championship contenders. So how do teams like Duke and Houston prepare themselves with weak conference schedules, but teams like Gonzaga or, you know, uh, whoever we want to take out of the SEC, Kentucky, uh, you know, whoever you want to, 
take out of the Pac-12, Arizona, they, they can't prepare themselves. Well, if you want to look at these conferences too, like the Big East had a rough st- rough go, uh, the Mountain West, terrible performance in this tournament. Right. Um, Big Ten, another kind of lackluster showing for the Big Ten as a whole. And it, it makes you wonder a little bit if like the strength of schedule thing just becomes so wildly overrated, especially Overblown, with a conference yeah. like the Big Ten, where, look, the Big Ten and the ACC have built themselves this alliance of sorts where they play the Big Ten ACC challenge, and it allows you to pimp your metrics. The Big Ten, in, sp- yep. in particular, sends everybody to Maui or the Bahamas or wherever else to these uh, early season tournaments where you get to play a team like uh, Loyola Chicago was there. Auburn was there. Or if you're Michigan State, every single year you're going to open the year playing either Duke, Kentucky, or Kansas. Likewise, for those three teams, we'll right. play one of them every year in that Champions Classic. So you look at like those conferences, and then you have all of them play each other, and they play 22 games, and they just kind of beat up on each other so nobody falls too far, nobody rises too high, and you end up with a conference that, like the Big Ten, gets nine teams into the tournament, and two of them are alive in the second weekend. And it's like, maybe we should be looking more into the American Athletic Conference because you get Houston, who had a couple games that really tested them in that conference. Like, Memphis really tested them. Memphis put the fear of God into Gonzaga, and, like, that was a nine-seed I think you've got to start looking at these other conferences and think maybe the competition level there is actually okay. Yeah, and I, I wonder if the committee would be okay. I don't I don't think this enters into their formula or their discussions at all because they are focused on each year as sort of its own silo. Um, but look back at the last couple of years anyway. You don't have to go way back into the history because teams do change so, so quickly now. Uh, but look back on the last year or two and, and see, okay, how did the teams from that conference perform? Are we re- are, are we going to underseed this Houston Cougars team uh, because they're coming from the American Conference, or are we going to look back on what Houston did last year? Um, are we going to look back at what their conference did last year, and we're going to say, okay, this is obviously better than a five seed? You well, know, I, 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 the underseeding point is like really incredible too, and this is totally off topic from betting the two games, which we'll get to in a moment. But the, there, yeah. I do have a gripe with the way that this tournament was seeded and set up because Houston went out and won their conference tournament in a fashion where they blasted Memphis and got revenge and really like a team like Houston that ends the season that well, that has this incredible uh, 30 win season and is looking as good as they did down the stretch top five in Kempom who cares about their quad one wins. And you made it very apparent that it didn't matter what they did in the conference tournament or the conference championship because they won that and still ended up with a five seed in the UAB draw when really they probably should have been a two or a three and we're seeing that bear out now. So I think you're right though. Like as much as they want to make it a silo, the mountain West is going to be punished next year for their performance in the tournament this year. Cause you let four teams in and go zero and four, the committee's going to remember that. Oh yeah. It's it, you would think it loops back around. It has to figure somehow into their discussions when they're sitting down to seed teams. All right. Speaking of seeds, We've got a pair of regional finals. The West Region Final, a four-seed Arkansas and a two-seed Duke. The South Region Final, the aforementioned fifth-seeded Houston Cougars against the second-seeded Villanova Wildcats. Uh, A battle of the Cats there, the Cougars and the Wildcats. Uh, But let's go in chronological order then, Shay. Let's, Let's go with the first game of the two on Saturday night. Let's start with 
the cat battle, Houston Villanova. It'll tip uh, about 10 minutes after six, this one on TBS. And Villanova getting two, two and a half, depending on where you find it. The total sitting at 128. Your initial thoughts on this one? I, I Without seeing the number, I wanted to bet the under, and then I see it come in at 128, and I'm like, uh, that's probably yeah. about where I was hoping it would land. It is kind of funny. This is, again, totally off topic. Second consecutive game in this region that will be Cougars and Wildcats, just because right. there's right. no originality in college nicknames. Um, I don't see a number edge here. Kempom has Houston about two. I would have Houston lined around two points as a favorite here. But I do feel like when you get into the tournament, some of the numbers you can throw away. Uh, Houston playing better basketball than they have all season right now. Obviously playing with confidence, coming off a wire-to-wire beatdown of Arizona, one of the best teams in the country all year. And Houston just had no issue. Houston, in the end of that game against Illinois, just absolutely obliterated the Illini. So as a two-point favorite, it also feels like one possession, all you need is a bucket. You're picking a winner, basically. I like Houston to beat Villanova, so I think I would bet Houston. Yeah, I I think I'm on Houston, uh, even laying the two as well, because like you said, it's a one-possession game, more or less. I just, you know, we've mentioned it throughout the show. Houston's just hot. The way they're playing, dominating both ends of the court. My only hesitancy, and this is my only hesitancy, it, it, can Colin Gillespie rise up and be that dude? Um, can he be that guy who takes over the game somehow? Who, you know, starts burying them from deep? Who you look up and all of a sudden he's gone, I don't know, six of ten from three and they've got themselves a big double-digit lead that they've staked themselves to, and now Jay Wright just gets to kind of turn the screws a little bit, and he gets to coach from ahead, and he gets to sort of dictate the terms and the pace and the tempo. Um, I think if Houston's got to play this game from ahead, I think most of it. If they're if they're down you know, by a possession or two going to halftime, it's not to say they won't bounce back from that, but if they get to half and – Let's say Villanova has somehow opened up a a three-possession lead or more. I'll wonder about Houston's ability not to come back and win, but just how much much time they'll need, I guess. You know, the longer Villanova gets into this thing with some sort of lead, if they can get it, I'll be looking for Villanova to pull it off. But um, I think I'm with you. I like Houston. And I think I like the over, too. At 128. It's a low number. It, yeah, it's it's just even with these two teams, it's entirely too low a number. So Tell you one other both- thing you got to be aware of in this game, though, is and you brought up Colin Gillespie. Remember, he got hurt in that game against Michigan and yeah. left the game. And, you know, Jay Wright comes out and says, well, he's fine. Everything's OK. He's good. And that probably means he will play. It's the tournament. He will likely play. Sure. But this is also the time where. Teams get very insular, and they're not leaking news to the usual beat oh, yeah. guys, and it's very difficult to get injury updates, whether even in the usual digging places. So that's something, if you can get some information or hear something about Colin Gillespie before this game ends up tipping off, could be huge for a, a little bit of an edge on Houston. Absolutely. We're at that point in the tournament, like you said earlier, where those injuries are starting to be a much bigger factor in what's going to go down in the final few games. All right, Arkansas-Duke, 849 Eastern tip. Uh, you know, we've talked about Duke throughout the show. I I don't know if I can bet against Krzyzewski in this spot. It's a four-point spread. Totals right around 147.5, 148. Um, and that's, that's 
probably right on the number for me. I think I like Duke. I don't think I'm going near the total in this one, but because of everything we've talked about, all the, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers for those listening and not watching, uh, magic of Mike Krzyzewski down the stretch. I think Duke is, above all, just the more talented team, too. And I think that's the most important component of this yeah. as we get lost in all of the Shashevsky stuff. Arkansas is a really good team. Duke's just more talented. Give me the Blue Devils minus four. My worry with taking Arkansas, which I really would like to do, is losing that cover the way I lost the Michigan State cover, the way Texas Tech fans felt like they lost it. What I might get involved in here, Chris, is a second half over. Because if you look at Duke in the second half against Michigan State and in the second half against Texas Tech, it just became shot-making city. And I know that, like, you can't necessarily project that moving forward, but it feels like a team where they kind of get into that extra gear when the second half starts and the game's still tight. They just are going to make shots down the stretch, whether it's Paolo finding ways to right. do that or whatever. It, that's kind of where I'm looking in this one is a second half over second half total. Last check was 76 and a half. So uh, keep that in mind as you keep an eye out for Arkansas and Duke uh, and next week, the guys will be back. RJ and Jeffrey will be another edition of bet QLU. They'll have, a final four and a national championship game to get you ready for. Uh, this has been fun, Shay. Uh, next time they time. need the B team. I hope they call us both again. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of business. This has been a fun, uh, fun edition of bet QLU. Uh, be sure to keep it right here on the bet QL network for the entire tournament. All the picks you could possibly need. We got them for you. All those five-star plays go to betql.com. They got them there for you and they'll help you make the best bets down the stretch of this NCAA tournament and then beyond. All right, that does it for this edition of BetQLU. Again, as I mentioned, RJ and Jeffrey will be back next week. Thanks again to Shay Norling. Thanks to Zach for producing. Thanks to everybody involved at the BetQL Network. Enjoy the hoops. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.